Prevail. C'est cette Geneva programme pro politico. L'histoire, la sécurité nationale. Crimen organisado, dinero sucio. Global corruption. Ta brotpo sa démocratie. Et ahora, ATP. Et maintenant, comme ustedes, su anfitrión, I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Nia Molinari is here. I'm actually off this week. This is an interview that Nia and I did a while ago, but Tucker Carlson is back in the news after being summarily dismissed from Fox. He's now popping up on Twitter, which of course is owned by Elon Musk and has become a right-wing Nazi-filled garbage zone. So obviously that has a great appeal to Tucker Carlson being probably the, the most important voice for that population that we have going. So I figured we'd rerun this this interview today, a couple of things up front, announcements and such. Um, big story again from ProPublica about Sam Alito, Supreme Court Justice, who has such a weird combination of obvious dumbness and sneering arrogance. Very off-putting, this guy. I don't know how anybody wants to be in a room with him. I, I got a, uh, an email from somebody uh, who will remain nameless who was in a room with him one time while either working down there or interning or something. And they said that Alito during the kind of break in the session stood over in the corner by himself and nobody really wanted to go over and talk to him. I remember even like Scalia and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg were like, you know, friendly and all this stuff. There does seem to be this culture on the Supreme court where people are friendly, but Alito, I don't know if anybody likes this fucking guy. I don't even know if Paul Singer likes the guy, you know, but he went uh, on the trip with Paul Singer, this gajillionaire right wing dude. And, you know, it's disgusting. He's private jet, fancy, you know, fishing trip, the whole thing, the whole disgusting thing that we read with Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito was also doing and presumably has been doing this whole time. So, again, these people are supposed to declare this stuff. Obviously, Alito didn't. He took the very unusual step of writing an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal in advance of the publication of the ProPublica piece, which means that the ProPublica had to go and include quotes from the Wall Street Journal piece in its piece before it even came out. It was very strange. I guess Alito was trying to control the narrative. Dumbass fucking moron. And just a reminder, I I'm making fun of this guy. He's responsible for a lot of the Second Amendment bullshit that we have now. All of these dead kids that we have, all of these shootings, ultimately they they are because of Alito's decisions, specifically ones that he wrote up. And he's the guy that overturned Roe. So that's what he's about, you know? He doesn't want women to access medical care, and he wants people shooting at each other. And he thinks he's great and above reproach. So... I say, you know, any chance that we have to publicly humiliate this guy, because really that's the only thing we can do, we have to take it. I mean, what a fucking tool this guy is, Sam Alito. Scalito, as they called him, when he was uh, nominated during the confirmation process because he was so similar to 
um, Scalia. And then Alito was like, don't call me Scalito. It's not nice. Yeah, it's not nice. Fuck you, Scalito. Fuck off forever. Um, so that happened. I want to make sure that people know about that piece. I, I think people do. But please tell your family and friends about it and who these Supreme Court justices are and how disgusting they are. Because it really does need to come out. The, the hypocrisy here is off the charts. That's one thing. Um, there's a lot of RFK Jr. stuff this week. Like people are really taking this. I can't understand how anybody is taking this guy seriously. Have you listened to him talk? He sounds deeply, deeply unwell. I, I did a, a fake ad a couple weeks ago, like pretending to be him. And I listened to him talk and I was like, Gee. I thought I was going to do the Mayor Quimby, you know, Simpsons voice. But he doesn't sound like that at all. He sounds... He just sounds like unwell, you know, and uh, so I don't know that he's necessarily the guy I'd want lecturing me about medical stuff. And then he looks like, you know, like in the old uh, James Bond movies, agents of Spectre would be like disguised wearing a rubber mask. And then at the end, after Bond killed them, they would peel off the rubber mask. He looks like he's wearing like a rubber RFK Jr. disguise. It's very strange. I, I tweeted that. RFK Jr. looks like a Simpsons drawing of himself, and that's also true. I don't understand the appeal of this guy at all. Also, he's being backed by all of the fucking most obvious chaos agents that we have. You know, all of them. There's Stone and Bannon, and even Trump said something nice about him, you know? So he is, I don't know if he's aware of it, but he is being manipulated and used as a chaos agent, right? He's he's the quintessential useful idiot in this campaign, and whether or not he says anything of substance that you think is great, that's how this shit works. They get people to say things that you might agree with that other people are afraid to say. And then once you open yourself up to that, they fill it with bullshit. You know, that's how the uh, the Snowden thing worked. He came out and he said, oh, the government's spying on us and isn't this terrible? And people stopped and thought and said, yeah, this is really terrible. What this guy's doing, my, my God. But, you know, what he was doing was fucking espionage that put all of us at risk. So RFK, I mean, such an obvious, such an obvious to me, op, just fuck this guy, okay? Um, Do not even, if he's on the TV, just turn him off. He's got nothing to say. The idea that he's going to primary Biden is fucking bananas. And if he runs third party, he's going to run it. Really? What the fuck is he going to do if he's the president? Nothing. Um, even if he got elected, he doesn't, he's not a, he doesn't have a constituency. So please send this guy back to wherever he came from. Um, let him go on the anti-vax speaking tour. He's been anti-vax, by the way, since long before COVID, trotting out the bullshit, you know, vaccines cause autism lie that's just a known lie based on debunked junk, you know, one study. The guy that did that study, like, you know, got in legal trouble for doing it, Okay. And RFK is just out there, you know, talking about it like it's real. It ain't real. And spreading vaccine disinformation in the United States is like, duh, it's a Kremlin thing. That's just what it is. So please don't pay attention to this guy. Please, please, please. I beg you. I'm telling you, I've been studying this shit for seven years now. This guy, this campaign is an op. Please stay away from it. Um, A couple of quick announcements. There is no... 5-8 show tonight. No new 5-8 show tonight. We will be back next week. Um, in the meantime, if you would like to subscribe to the 5-8 audio podcast, such a thing does exist. We've not been very good at announcing it. It's there. If you if you type in the 5-8 in the little search bar for your, uh, 
whatever podcast application you're using, hopefully it will pop up and you can uh, hit the little plus button and add us to your catalog of podcasts that you listen to. We would appreciate that. Last but not least, um, I don't think I mentioned it on the pod. I have a book out that I wrote um, about my father-in-law. It is called Success Stories of a Failure Analyst. It is available on Amazon. You can actually get it at a bookstore, but you have to order it, but you can do that. Um, and it's pretty interesting. I, I won't say any more, but it, it, it's out there. It exists. It's short, unlike my 700-page Byzantine Empire book. So, you know, if you're if you're curious about uh, about him and about my relationship with him and um, just America in general, man, there's, there's neat stuff in there. So check that out. Again, it is called Success Stories of a Failure Analyst. So no 5-8 tonight. This is a uh, an old interview with Nia Molinari, but, you know, definitely worth getting back into. And uh, we'll be back next week with all new material here and on the 5-8. Too much prattle. We'll be right back with Nia Molinari. Are you a white man who is the victim of a witch hunt? Is the woke mob coming to nail you shut in a cancel culture casket? Are the PC police giving you a hard time because you quoted the great Martin Luther King? State Farm can help. Hi, I'm one-time NFL champion Aaron Rodgers, here to tell you about a new product from State Farm, Woke Insurance. Woke Insurance covers you in the event of loss of income if you mistake Joe Rogan for a medical doctor, or tweet that all lives matter, or lie about your vaccination status. With Woke Insurance, you too can be immunized. From hits to your reputation. They say honesty is the best policy. But at State Farm, we know that Woke Insurance is the best policy. Take it from me, Aaron Rodgers. I wouldn't lie to you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there for you to be a bad neighbor. And now, back to the show. Nia Molinari, welcome to the Prevail Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. So you've written now three pieces for Prevail. Mm-hmm. You wrote about you wrote one about Guam and the, your your weird experience that you had in Guam that was terrifying. You wrote a piece called um, with the very child friendly title "Fuck Giuliani," or was it "Fuck Rudy"? I can't remember. I thought it was "Fuck Giuliani." I think it was "Fuck Giuliani." Yeah, yeah, that's what the guys were saying. And, uh, and now you have one called All Tuckered Out about Tucker Carlson. So I want to talk first about who you are and your experiences and the perspective that you bring to bear on this stuff. So we really kind of got in touch because of the Giuliani thing. And you noticed something in your uh, former profession that I think other people would not have seen. So why don't we start there? Tell us a little bit about who you are and... Uh, not exactly who you are, but who you are and why you have this uh, unique perspective on these things. Well, I didn't realize that I had a unique perspective. I was raised very conservative, Arizona, Goldwater Republican, college preparatory boarding school. And then I rebelled from my upbringing and became an exotic dancer. And I think that, well, given that I ended up becoming an exotic dancer in clubs run by the mob in various forms, either yeah. Irish or Italian or whatever, that it living in that subculture for 
pretty much a decade, uh, gave me an insight to how that world works from the other side. And um, I guess I just have an eye for things that wouldn't cross other people's minds unless they'd experienced it. Yeah, when I contacted you, it was because I found the article about Trump being a rat. And yeah. I had thought that since before the 2016 election, I had been ranting about that to my friends who thought I was insane. And I found that article and I was like, hey, by the way, I have this weird personal story about like Rudy Giuliani and you might find it funny. And that's why I contacted you. So the article that you wrote, the story that you wrote, the piece that you wrote, I like to call call them pieces because not really articles. But the thrust of the article is you having danced in a number of clubs in New York City at this very particular time when Rudy was going after, you know, the Italian mob, basically the five families. He did not go after all of the five families. He went after four of them. And you were able to kind of put together which ones he was protecting or seemed to be protecting based on which ones remained open. Yeah, but that was in retrospect. Yes. Yeah, that's what I should say, in retrospect, in hindsight. It was in hindsight because I didn't ask a lot of questions. I just noticed the ambient atmosphere that I was around and what they were talking about and who was talking to who and who was bitching about who. And, you know, then later on down the road, I found some stuff online and started putting it together. And yeah, it, it was all in hindsight. But yeah, it seemed like he was going after particular families and not others. Which one was the one that he that he wasn't going after? I can't remember. I get the mixed Gambino. Up. That's what I the Gambino. I get Gambino and Genovese mixed up. I'm I'm like half Italian. I should know this shit. And I, I don't know. Sometimes the Russian names are easier than the Italian ones for me. I don't know. Well, the reason why Gambino is interesting is because Gambinos are the only ones that didn't go down during the commission and when he was uh, he was the DA yeah. for the uh, SDNY. Uh, mm -hmm. And the commission in 1985, it was like Paul Castellano was whacked and then Gotti just managed to slip away from that whole thing. The Teflon Don. Yeah. 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 But, as, but as soon as Giuliani was out of office, then he got arrested. Funny that almost as if yeah. something was happening there. Um, tell the story uh, now. T tell the story for people that might not have read the piece. Tell the story about where the title is realized, because that's a good story. Uh, I ended up working at a club in Queens because Giuliani had shut down the original club and they were built. They created a, a second club as a temporary hub until they could finish fighting with him. But I'd only heard the name a few times thrown out there and they, you know, it was always fuck Giuliani. The boys are always fuck Giuliani. And I'm like, okay, all right, whoever this is. And then one night I'm sitting in this club and the room must have had about 500 people in it. And 90% of them were Italian. And then all of a sudden, instead of the DJ saying, oh, next on stage is so-and-so, all of a sudden, the, the, the DJ just leaned to the microphone and whispered, fuck Giuliani. And I was like, okay. And then next thing you know, he says it again, fuck Giuliani. And then next thing you know, it just picks up around the room and 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 I ended up in a Scorsese film with about 150 Italians fist pumping fuck Giuliani fuck Giuliani and it it 
was definitely memorable. They did this for about, oh, five minutes. Oh my God. That's a five minutes is a long time. That's yeah, a long time. A really long time. And then it became a nightly thing. Like it became a, a thing that they had to do at one point every single night. So that's how I learned how Julie, who Giuliani was. Did you think that his first name was fuck for a while or did you know? Yeah. That it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I immediately assumed that he wasn't liked. So yeah. uh, you assume correctly. He, he, I lived in New York city during the time of, I, I think between the first and second terms. And he really, the first term, he did a couple of things that people liked, and then it went to his head and he got really, really despotic. And he thought, you know, that's when people started calling him Benito Giuliani. That was a, a nickname that people had for him. And at the time of 9-11, he was reviled. Um, I don't really? think he was, uh, yeah. He wasn't eligible to run again. There were term limits yeah. on mayors, but if he were, if he ran on September 9th, he would have lost to a sewer rat with a piece of pizza in its mouth. Like people fucking hated that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they I really hated him. Yeah. Because this was in 1999. So it would have been around the time everybody thought he was Benito. He was he was losing his uh, losing his popularity. Anyway, that was a great piece. And then you were inspired to write about, of all people, Tucker Carlson and so that's really what we're going to talk about on, the, uh, on this episode today. We're going to talk mostly yeah. about Tucker Carlson. So why did you want to write about Tucker Carlson? Because you went down a pretty, you went down the rabbit hole with him. You did a lot of research for this. I didn't know that much about politics. I mean, I, I paid enough attention to know I didn't like Sarah Palin, even though I liked John McCain. So I voted for Obama. But, and I liked Obama, but this was in the time where I was just coming out of being a Republican. So I didn't even know who Tucker Carlson was until I noticed that Dennis Hoff was running for office. Dennis Hoff Nevada. being? The pimp from the cat house right. on HBO. So. I noticed that. And then I was like, who's this Tucker Carlson guy? that he's friends with and then I started paying attention and I'd seen clips of him on the internet and you know I'd heard people talking about him and stuff but he didn't really have his mainstream like audience until 2006 17 really so um his big show there was something about his demeanor and something about his facade that just reminded me of everybody I went to high school with Right. And you went right. to, again, you went to this fancy boarding school. I went to a very prestigious college preparatory boarding school. It wasn't really, it was non-denominational and it was co-ed, but it was very prestigious. Yes. Yeah. Um, Tucker Carlson School, which is St. George's in Middletown, Rhode Island, also co-ed, by the way. Not, not all schools as far as. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. So, they, they've had some problems. Um, yes, they have. It's interesting. So now. Dennis Hoff, and I. Th this is part of the thing that, that you see Tucker Carlson as being this guy, this kind of smug, entitled, you know, douchebag, basically, like a lot of kids that come out of those schools. Not all of them, we know, but a lot no, of them. No, not all of them. Yeah. Not all of them. Um, but there is certainly, there's a stereotype of that type of person, and the stereotype exists for a reason. So um, you see that, and then also... It's weird because, again, your worlds collide in a sense. You have the boarding school world that's familiar with Tucker Carlson types. And then there's Dennis Hoff, who Dennis Hoff, for those of you who don't know who he is, because I really didn't know who he was that much 
he looks like the thing from the the Fantastic Four comics. He's like <laughs> he's like you know kind of a a, a bowling ball shaped dude with a b- big bald head, uh, big kind man. of a snarl. Yeah, he's a big guy, and um, he he looks like somebody that would have owned a brothel in like 1850 because he looks like he could probably beat you up and stuff. Yeah, he's like yeah. Swearinger. Yeah. On, uh... Swear engine. The, 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 swear engine is much more, much more uh, refined, though I think. And likable. Yeah, yeah. Al Swear Engine might be my favorite TV character of all time, by the way. I, I know well, it's a great character. I know, I love, yeah. Um, Dennis Hoff, not. He's more of the 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 um, Powers Booth character, I think. The, the you know m- much more yeah. more brute force than uh, you know uh, Panache, I suppose. So he runs. Um, brothels he owns brothels in nevada where it's legal at the time but uh still he owns yeah, brothels it, the guy is a it, literally he's a pimp and he's good friends with tucker carlson which is strange yes i found it strange because tucker is constantly touting his faith and christianity and family values and everything else he touts but then again at the same token he also will you know get obsessed with pandas having sex or things like you know talking about girls in thigh-high boots and you're just like where did that come from like that yeah he just pulls these out of his ass and and they're out of nowhere and so you you can kind of see there's something else underneath there but i still don't understand to this day how they became friends yeah because he doesn't say there's a there's a piece that you cite um, that he wrote, that Tucker wrote for the New Republic in, I think, 2007. He's a very good writer, by the way. He really is. No, he, no. He, yeah. I know he is. Yeah, he's, he's he he makes jokes, and he said, you know, even even describing going there, he says like, well, I show up at the at the uh, the Ron Paul event with a pimp and two hookers, or no, he says I didn't expect to show up at the at a political event uh, with with a pimp and two hookers. But on the road, things sometimes don't work out the way you plan, like some some joke like that. And it's like it was really well done, you know, but on the other hand, it's perfect. And it was very, you know, no, it's it's a little bit sexisty, like he's, you know, he's using it as a as a uh, as a prop almost just to make the joke. I don't know. There was something a little mm-hmm. bit dark about it that that uh, exploitative about it, I suppose. Well, I just still to this day wonder what crawled up his ass and made him decide to call Hoff. Yeah. For Ron to go see Ron Paul. Like it couldn't be because of tax breaks. It's I mean, I think maybe he just maybe he was bored and he wanted to visit the brothel. Or maybe he was like, Hey, um, I want this guy to win. I know this guy who might be helpful. I mean, it might have a perfectly anodyne explanation. A guy that runs a brothel would be a libertarian in a sense, because he doesn't want the Well, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, and he says it in the article. I, I suspected that he might have libertarian leanings. He said he describes yeah, him as smart that. but not political, and probably as libertarian leanings. But yeah, again, he doesn't tell the whole story, and there's a lot of that in his work and in the stories that he tells. That you you mm-hmm. question, is this guy on the up and up? In fact, David Frum, the speechwriter, the Republican speechwriter, wrote a piece fairly recently about how. Um, you know, Tucker was the source, allegedly, for a lot of people Leaks. during the Trump years mm-hmm. for quotes and inside stories and this and that. And yet he's such an unreliable narrator and the stories can't be, you know, confirmed or verified that it's like, does he even why do we believe what he says? Because 
often he'll say something and it turns out not to be true or he'll, an exaggeration such as for example the time that um remember he he was like antifa has come to my house and they're threatening my family and it was like there were like 10 people outside his house chanting you know because he's a fucking asshole uh so they were protesting in front of his house which i last time i checked my constitution is a is a protected right under the first amendment in the bill of rights right and tucker you know calls the police because of course he does and um he says that uh i heard people saying that there were you know they were to have a pipe bomb and they started to break it they, they they burst against the door and they you know they they damaged the door and none of that is true they didn't damage the door nobody said anything about a pipe bomb um there there was a, a first-hand account from a journalist who was there and he was like this thing was over in 10 minutes it really wasn't a big deal at all but tucker is a you know he's a big baby and he couldn't handle it and he called the police and he made this whole thing about it which then media went and took and ran with his version of the events even though his version of the events was not accurate or was exaggerated based on you know other accounts of people that were there well that's what he does best yeah yeah and that's the skill set yeah it's an inherited one yeah yeah <laughs> you have to his question skills... everything yeah yeah everything and he'll question it and then implant something in your brain so you question it but he doesn't ever actually say what it yeah he's got this skill set of bullshit that's just unreal yeah he's very skilled at he's, he really is and that's what makes him dangerous and um you know wh why i want to talk about him because he's right now i think he's a huge threat to you know first of all for the all the the covid misinformation that he's been that he's been spreading and with the yeah. insurrection stuff is is really this movie that he's put out this mini series called patriot purge which is complete bullshit and everybody has said it's complete bullshit everybody reputable anyway why is he doing that i mean you, you one has to ask why is this guy doing this he knows this is bullshit why is he doing this there has to be a reason and that's why i think it's good sometimes to go back and look at the totality of this of this man and and figure out you know was he always like this did he turn at some point is he i know you know um that's why ahead. i started digging so deep and that's yeah. why i started like i'd go down one thing and i'd search here and then i'd fall in another rabbit hole and i'd be like oh my god he's related to this and oh he's connected to that and oh his dad knows so and so and oh this happened and then it, it's just an endless rabbit hole now i first became aware of, of tucker carlson in the 90s in in the, the late 90s i guess or whenever he was on crossfire i remember watching him on crossfire because i used to like that show i enjoyed that show and i i liked him on crossfire you know i did i thought he was generally reasonable he's not that much older than me i think he's three years older than me four years older than me so he's around you know at the time he was very young to be on that show and you know he was confident he was funny and he he wasn't crazy he didn't say like completely batshit stuff he he was more arrogant prep school republican rather than like holy roller jesus republican so yeah um and for yeah, he me was country, he was a country club republican yes exactly and for me i mean you know i came out of i grew up in um in a town in new jersey that's now become very affluent it wasn't as affluent when i was growing up there it's such a Tucker Carlson town, Madison, New Jersey. How much of a Tucker Carlson town is it? Tucker Carlson fucking lived in the town when he was working in New York. That's where he lived. He lived in 
the town. I, I wasn't there anymore, but that's where he chose to live, right? So, wow. Like, uh, you know, my parents are not, you know, they're nominally Republican. There's lots of Republicans in my family. And growing up in that town, there's a lot of these country club kind of Republicans. And when I was in high school, certainly, you know, uh, that's definitely wh where my leanings were because I felt like the teachers and a lot of the other kids uh, in the school were, were not, and it was irritating. And I get, I, I knew that about myself that I said, I, if I go somewhere where it's too woo woo, it's going to really turn me into a hardcore conservative weirdo. And I don't want to do that. So I went to school somewhere where there were more conservatives and therefore I turned out. Okay. Uh, but, you know, a different click of the dial in my brain, like a little bit, I could very easily be Tucker Carlson right now. I would be a complete asshole and I would have a lot more money. But the the vibe is okay. like, I get I get it. I get his shtick. I get why he's popular. I totally understand why people like him. Um, I, even I understand get, it too. You know, even the central grievance of it is is understandable. Like, again, he's not that much older than me. So, you know, me coming up in high school, and try and applying to colleges and there's at the time because colleges have always been sexist and racist generally about who they let in they're trying yep. to they're trying to correct for that now and you know so there's lots of uh programs and and um scholarship opportunities and stuff for minorities and for women as i perceived it in the in the early 90s and i I get it. I understand why that's necessary, but a lot of people don't get it. A lot of people are just like, fuck that. It should only be about merit and nothing else. And yeah, that, 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 which sounds like a perfectly reasonable thing to say. And that's what Tucker does. He, he speaks to that grievance that's there. I'm telling you, it is there, you know? Oh, I know it's there. It's in my family. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> right after Right after Obama was inaugurated, I happened to be in Arizona and I happened to be at the country club. And I was sitting at the counter and this woman walked in and they call them snowbirds because they fly down and live there or California transplants to get all pissed off when they retire out there. And this woman walked in and asked the bartender to change the TV over to CNN. And the bartenders laughed. He goes, I don't even know what what number the channel is of CNN on my TV or whatever. Everything was NASCAR and Fox News all mm -hmm. around the room in the country club. That's all that you could see in the, in the bar in the dining room. And finally got the guy to turn the channel. And they were showing um, Barack and Michelle Obama and the whole thing. And this asshole sitting next to me was drinking his beer. And he was staring at the TV. And then he looked at me and he said, well, I'll be goddamned. Michelle Obama really doesn't like a gorilla. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that really happened. And this is uh, also in Andy Biggs' district, by the way. Yeah. And I literally wanted to dive on the floor because I thought the bullets would be fired. And then I looked around the room and I realized there wasn't a person of color for miles. Yeah. Aside from, aside from the guys working in the kitchen. Yeah. And that was a game changer in my brain. I just, I just, I was just absolutely horrified. I mean, to be able to, 
not only to have the thoughts, but to be comfortable enough to share it in a public place at a bar with a stranger. Yeah. It's really, you know, the arrogance of that and the, the condescension and the And the when I saw And when I saw Donald Trump running for president, I warned all my liberal friends he could win. And it's that memory that made me realize that was the point, that, that he could win. Yeah. No, it's 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 dangerous stuff. Um, so Tucker, and it's from, the same audience. Yeah, it's the same audience. You know, Tucker goes from being on Crossfire when he starts off. He just to give a, an overview of his of his life. Okay, um, not his early life because we'll talk about that next. I think after the break, but um, mm-hmm. he graduates from um, Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut. And he only got into Trinity because um, his eventual father-in-law, the headmaster mm-hmm. at St. George's, wrote a recommendation and basically Correct. begged them to take him because he is a terrible student. Um, mm-hmm. Smart guy, bad student. So he goes there. He majors in history. He graduates in 1991. He marries his wife in August mm-hmm. of the same year, Susan. Um, then he goes to work kind of as a gonzo-style journalist and doing this and that. And, you know, he's writing these articles and he's good. He's 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 smart, he's perceptive, he has shit to say, and he kind of falls into TV. He starts appearing on TV after the OJ thing, I believe. And then he kind of drifts, he he goes from channel to channel. He was at PBS for a while. He had his own show on PBS as part of the um, Newt Gingrich's uh, big push to make PBS more right-wing and more conservative. He went to... um, you know, he was on CNN doing Crossfire until John mm-hmm. Stewart literally just destroyed. He destroyed Crossfire so badly that the I think I watched that live, by the way. I remember why I watched it. Oh, really? It was yeah. Yeah. It was kind yeah, of a big deal. Did, I didn't even know who this, these people were until like six years ago. And I started paying attention. So, <laughs> so I've seen the clips in retrospect and I it, it's horrifying to realize that I allowed myself to be so ignorant to what was going around me for so long. And I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of us woke up in 2016. I think, I think a lot of people woke up too. And I, th- I, I fear that people went back to sleep after 20, uh, 2020 though. Yeah. Like, I'm afraid the, of that too. I'm not, I'm not positive, but I'm afraid of it. But um, so then he, he drifts from station to station. He's at MSNBC next at MSNBC. Mm-hmm. He likes the format where he gets to like, argue with people he likes to debate like i think he's very comfortable in that format um where he's just you know debating people so he has panelists on that are regulars one of whom is rachel maddow who at the time was a dj or or a a, a, not a dj she was on the radio she was a radio figure and nobody really even knew who she was outside of the audience and you know where she was doing radio in boston she wasn't really even on tv yet so it's interesting that he winds up basically discovering her and giving her her start on, on TV. And now they're like rivals on, in the. I did know who Rachel Maddow was because I used to see her on Politically Incorrect. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. like one of the figures I actually did know who she was. Okay. So. Um, but her, you know, going into this format, I think that was her big, you know, that was a break for her. That so. was a big break. It was a huge break for her. Yeah. Um, you know, and she's terrific. I mean, obviously, but, uh, and then I love her. it takes him a while to get to Fox. It takes him a little while to find his audience and the audience is at Fox. There's also speaking of him lying. There's a, at, in the early days, he always wore a bow tie. That was his big thing. 
I know. And there was a story, somebody asked him about when he stopped and it was after MSNBC in around 2006 when he stopped wearing mm-hmm. the bow tie because he says people kept coming up to him at Penn Station and yelling at, at him about it. And he said something like, yeah, just people just don't like you when you wear a bow tie. There's something about it, which I didn't realize. And I think that's bullshit. I think he knew exactly that. I think he, <laughs> I think he did know that it makes people not like you and that's why he did it. But, you know, <laughs> I st- well, he still he- looks funny to me not in a bow tie. It's like yeah. when you see Tom Selleck and he doesn't have a mustache. It's like it's it's not right. What are you doing, Tom Selleck? Where's yeah, the mustache, Magnum? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. I will always see him in a bow tie too in my head. He yeah. just it, it just suits him. Yeah. He's 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 that way. And then when he's on Fox, he gets his own show right after Trump, you know, is elected. Uh right yeah. after the election. And like then, a week. Yeah. And then um, in January, Megyn Kelly goes to, um, mm-hmm. to NBC in that ill-fated move, which is bad for both NBC and Megyn Kelly. And then Tucker takes over that spot. And that's, that's it. That's his, he's that's been, it. He's been there ever since. He's been the prime mover in that spot ever since. But it's, it's when you look at it chronologically, yes, Tucker is, has always been around. He's always been doing stuff. But his rise into who he is now coincides with trump taking with office trump. it absolutely yeah. does and you know maybe and that's why the, i was so fascinated yeah and maybe one of the reasons why is because he was willing to carry the water for him you know i mean hannity is such an obvious hack about it but uh i think tucker he's better at the propaganda because he 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 doesn't seem like he's doing it quite as obviously as sean hannity does in my, in my yeah opinion. Yeah, Hannity kind of has this bootlicking thing. Yeah, yeah. It, whereas Tucker just feels like he's his natural element with that Trump anger and animosity. He's a troll. I mean, I think I think Tucker's always sort of a troll. I think he's he's always been that way. You know, in his yearbook when he graduated from college, there there was the thing where he said he was in the Dan White Society, a reference to the guy who shot Harvey Milk. Um, yeah. who was, you know, the first openly gay um, official yeah. in the state of California. So to write that in a yearbook um, is just like, why would you do that? Like, it's not funny. It's just dick. It's just dickish. Yeah, no, he's just like dickish. He's yeah. literally, he's the older child, but he's the dickish little brother. Yeah. It's he's very strange. And, you know, maybe it has to do with his upbringing and his father and his mother. So let, let's... Uh, that's a let's, whole other let's let's break now we're, we're, uh, gotta have a bigger boat <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back neil molinari talking about tucker carlson our world is more unstable than at any time since the height of the cold war and it's not just terrorism or conventional conflict that cast a shadow over the future I'm Arthur Snell, and I've spent much of my career in British government service all over the world trying to stop bad things from happening. I've done election monitoring in Zimbabwe, counter-terrorism in Yemen, stabilisation missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now I'm back home watching it all unfold, and what I'm seeing has got me worried. My new podcast series, Doomsday Watch, examines the looming threats that the world is not looking at. From the collapse of the petrochemical oligarchies that enforced a brutal form of order on the Middle East, 
to the rise of President Xi's aggressive China, to an impending second American civil war. That's Doomsday Watch, every week with me, Arthur Snell. Find Doomsday Watch wherever you listen to podcasts before it's too late. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Okay, we're back with Nia Molinari. We're talking about Tucker Carlson. I know, it's funny. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about his, let's talk about his parents because this, this is a weird, I didn't really know anything about Tucker's upbringing at all. I mean, people call him the frozen fish heir and that's not even accurate. It, it, it's uh -uh. funny, but it's not even, it doesn't really tell the full story to the point yeah. where I wonder if Tucker himself encourages people to call him that, you know, like he'd rather that they, that they call him that than the truth, which is a little bit darker. Um, his father, who's named Richard, and of course, any Republican of that age, go, if his name is Richard, <laughs> you know he goes by Dick, because of course he does, right? <laughs> so you have Dick Car Carlson. <laughs> Dick Carlson right. um, was born in, in uh, 41 in Boston. And his mom was uh, a 15-year-old girl who was in high school. And his father was an 18-year-old college student. And the mother um, didn't want anyone to know she was pregnant. So she starved herself. And when he was born, Dick Carlson, 
uh, he had, um, you know, he was a little bit sickly. He had rickets and his legs were bowed and this and that. And she immediately sent him to um, uh, an orphanage called the School of, or, or, or the Home for Little Wanderers, which is such a sad, sad name. And he's taken into foster care by this couple, I can't remember their name, um, who want to keep him. But they already have three kids. And the orphanage is like, we really would rather that the foundling go to a, 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 you know, parents that don't have any kids. So he stays there till he's like two and a half. And then one day, this woman named Carlson comes by and just uh, takes him away. So he's, I mean, imagine the psychological damage of that, where you're, you're, you're not old enough to remember your, you're, you've always known these people to be your parents and you're two and a half. And then suddenly you're just gone. And that's it. It's, it's, it, it's really, I don't know what that does to a person, but it's, it's got to bring up issues of extreme abandonment. Yeah. Um, that's not even the weirdest thing, by the way, that's not even the saddest thing. The father wanted the mother to go, you know, after they were a little older, he said, we should go back mm -hmm. and adopt this child because it's our kid and we should get married and we should have the kid. And when she refused, because I think she was, what, she was 16 or 17 years old, he was so upset that he, he got a gun and he shot himself and killed himself like, you know, a couple of blocks away from her house. So, you know, those are Tucker that's, Carlson's grandparents. That's those disturbing. Two. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very disturbing and sad. It's just, it's a sad, sad story. Um, so he goes to the Carlson's and eventually gets married to this woman named Lisa McNear Lombardi, who is an artist, right? She's an artist. I think she's from San Francisco. And she's a, you know, she's a bohemian lady and they get married and they have two kids. They have Tucker and they have Buckley, <laughs> Buckley. Because, so, because of course. Yeah. Like you can, you know, you know where this guy's political leanings are. His name is kid fucking Buckley. And when Tucker is, I believe, six years old, the mother is just like, yeah, I'm done. I'm out. Bye. And she just leaves. She leaves Dick with the two kids and she moves to France. And the word on the street is what Tucker said in the interview, right? She left, she, he said, he doesn't talk about it. This is an interview with the New Yorker. He doesn't talk about it, but she left to fulfill a bohemian lifestyle. So again, both him and his dad were abandoned by their birth mothers, which is interesting. Correct. Yeah, and sad. Yeah, you know? it's very sad. It's um, very sad. I think that, you know, therapy would be a better direction rather than ruining a country. But. <laughs> Probably. And I'm sure that, you know, you, you pointed out in your piece, there's always this misogynistic undercurrent to everything that he does. And there has been for a long time. Certainly there were emails that came out with he and his brother writing about some, some woman, I can't remember who it was, horrible, horrible uh, misogynistic comments that it really shouldn't be emailing. Um, or putting yeah. people or saying it all for that matter. So you have this under undercurrent of, you know, misogyny, but, you know, and maybe that's just why. Just anger, maybe, yeah. just anger at women. Right, yeah. but maybe, you know, right. not to justify it, but if your mother leaves when you're six and that, not only does she leave, when she dies in 2011. <laughs> yeah. You want to, you want to tell yeah. this one? Well, she dies in 2011 and in her will, she leaves everything to her second husband except for two dollars. 
and that's one dollar for each of her sons that she hadn't seen in Godfrey's Court. So that's pretty brutal. That's like that's, right. That, she may as well write "fuck you" in the will, you know. Yeah, I might as well write "fuck you" because that's basically what it was, and that'll cause more anger. So we, but they did try to sue the estate, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but one of the things that happens in abusive marriages is the spouse makes the victim look bad or or the, the parent who's the abuser will convince the children that the victim is the abuser and yeah. the horrible person. Yeah. And so the fact that she left the country and I don't know, I don't believe that she just was, it's a very slim chance because she could have been a completely disordered, crazy person and just picked up and left. But it's highly unlikely in my brain. Um, it doesn't happen but once in a million situations. Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange situation. I, I do, I, 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 a source told me who knows him a little bit said that, you know, the word on the street is that the birth mother is quote, a loon. Right, but, but that again, could have been pushed by Dick. Exactly, that, consider the source. The source is ultimately either gonna be Dick or Tucker and not, you know, this woman who by the way has a, a whole portfolio of art that she's done. She's a sculptor and, you know, she has work and. She got married. She had. It's not like she went to France and went into the woods and, and lived off the, the you know, ate bark or something. Like she went there yeah. and she's an artist. I mean, yeah. and married so, and with, with people. So, yeah. And you know what? The truth can only be found by if you can hear all sides of the story. And you can't hear all sides of the story here. So we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. But it is notable, I think, because it, you have these absences. You have in Dick's life, you have an abandonment. And in Tucker's life, you have an abandonment. And you yeah. Know, that definitely colors, uh, you know, it affects you. It can't not affect you um, in some profound way. So Dick Carlson, the, 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 uh, the father, okay, um, goes on. He survives all this, but he, he winds up as a journalist in California, and he's writing for Look Magazine, which was a <laughs> magazine, right? So yeah. he, he writes an article in Look Magazine accusing the mayor of San Francisco, whose name is then mayor, whose name escapes me, of being connected, of associating with mob people. Right, I remember that, yeah. So they sue, uh, they sue the magazine, okay? They sue Look Magazine. Look Magazine eventually mm -hmm. goes out of business because of this, although the lawsuit goes on for years. And I'm gonna pull this up because this is what the judge said. In the four libel trials, it was shown that Look's basis for describing these meetings was information obtained by Mr. Carlson from Tommy Lee Thomas, who said he was repeating what he had been told by Mr. Fratiano, once his father-in-law, the New York Times reports. Fratiano? Yep, Fratiano. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Thomas, okay. When Mr. Carlson asked an FBI agent assigned to organize crime investigation about the meetings describing Mr. Thomas, the agent said he had never heard of them. The presiding judge says the allegations were made with, quote, actual malice, i.e. with reckless disregard for their truth. Okay, then. Reckless disregard for their truth. That may as well be the fucking tagline of Tucker's show, right? That's what right. I mean. So Dick goes from doing that um, 
to working for the United States Information Agency, which is basically the U.S. propaganda arm, the anti-Soviet mm -hmm. propaganda arm. Again, not all propaganda is bad. Pro-America propaganda, great, we need it. But it's still a propaganda outfit. Then he runs Voice of America uh, for mm -hmm. years. He's the longest serving head of Voice of America, which again, does Alder a lot of great right. work. Yeah, he's there yeah. when, when, as you say in the piece, when, when Reagan uh, does the tear down the wall speech, he's running mm -hmm. Voice of America at that time. Then he leaves in 1991 to become the ambassador of the Seychelles of all things. Strange, weird, Seychelles. I don't know. <laughs> and then he kind of he drifts off a bit and Tucker becomes much more prominent in the years mm -hmm. after that. But he's still hovering. And one of the things he does is he's working or he's somehow affiliated with this outfit that, um, you know, recently, 2019, 2018, 2019, was doing lobbyist work for the for Viktor Orban and the government of Hungary. And that brings us back to now and Tucker. Because as you recall, um, not long ago, yeah. Tucker was in fucking Budapest licking this man's ass, talking about what a great guy Orban was. Orban is two things. He's a wannabe and dictator. How, yeah. And he's and, a puppet. Yeah. He's a puppet for the Russians because he's take, he's taking their money. We know this. He's mm -hmm. a he took Mogilevich's money. He's a bag man for Semyon Mogilevich, comma, the head of the Russian mob. So you know, you've got Tucker there doing basically boosting Orban. You've got his father in the background, maybe, you know, somehow involved with this company that's lobbying for Orban, although not apparently at this time. Apparently he wasn't right. involved directly with the thing, but he was still, you know, in some ways involved with it. And then Mogilevich is the one giving them the money, you know, to Orban. So it's, it's this, it's a pretty direct link between Russian mob and what these guys are saying. And Yes. I, don't, I, I don't see how you can escape that. It's very strange. The thing is, is with everything that has been going on for the last six years that blows your mind is, is it's all out in the open if you look for it. It's right there. Yeah. And everybody acts like it's not happening. It's like the, the pink elephant in the middle of the room. Yeah. Don't think about elephants. And all you can think about is elephants. The lobbying company that Dick works for now, in two years ago, they paid like $295,000 to Fox or something. There was that, a, a filing somewhere I read where they were actually paid and then all of a sudden he put Orban on his show. I'll have to look that up and send it to you, but I, I did find in the Open Secrets that Hungary paid $295,000 yeah, in 2019. Yeah, that was the last year that, that they took money from, from Hungary. So again, these guys are on the show. If you're boosting somebody on your show, you and you're taking and you're in any way affiliated with with lobbying efforts or anything like that. You have to disclose that or you can't call yourself a news outfit. I mean, correct. You know, in the last year, he's really gone dark. I mean, I, maybe it started in 2010 when he when he got when he founded the Daily Caller with his college roommate. I mean, the Daily Caller is pretty awful. Um, oh, yeah. In terms of, you know, having giving platforms to people that later turned out to be white nationalists. Um, yeah certainly extremists and not in a very nice way. Um, he divested from that, I think in 2020, I think he was, he was there for 10 years profiting from it and then sold his stake in it, but he's still and involved he with it. Stake, yeah. yeah, He was still involved with it for all that time. And, you know, the problem now is that there's no question that Tucker's reporting has contributed to 
um, misinformation and disinformation being spread about the pandemic and the virus and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and now this business with the insurrection where he's trying to rewrite history of the insurrection with this Patriot Purge show. It's not good. No, it's not good at all. And I just wonder who's, who's feeding pitch points, you know, that he's supposed to stick to. I yeah. just, that's what my brain is, is like, I don't know if it's the Murdochs or if it's somebody else or I don't know who it is, but somebody, because if you watch Fox News and you, you go and you check all the clips from the shows from that night and they all hit the same bullet point. Mm-hmm. Even if they do it in a different way, they still hit the same bullet points. It's like they all got the memo. Yeah, literally they got the memo. The messaging is the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't understand where it's coming from. I mean, it could be just just to, you know, in a non-conspiratorial way, it comes from, you know, news meetings that are held internally, probably at Fox, where some sort of news director that we don't know who it is, but somebody that that's in charge of running the operation says, ah, these are the things maybe we should, you know, these are the, uh, I know Associated Press does that. They have a news meeting and right. they say, here's the eight most important stories of the day. Likely they have a meeting where they say, here are the eight most important stories of the day from our perspective or whatever. But all this shit is boosted by Rupert Murdoch and by his son. And, you know, Tucker's also lost, he's lost advertisers. I mean, his, his ratings are good, but the advertisers have taken a hit as he comes out for some of this stuff and the Murdochs don't care. They want him. No, they, don't. they like him. You know, they I know that's what's scary. He loses advertisers, so he's not making them money except for cable subscriptions. So why do they want him? Yeah. It's a strange thing. I mean, usually it's if, if it's not a money based thing. Then there's another agenda. Yeah, there's another agenda. And maybe Rupert Murdoch and his son are just that's just what they, they don't care they're already ridiculously wealthy and they're just evil people that want to fuck the world. And this is their way to do it. I mean, it seems to be a very large amount of people that I've noticed the last few years who are like that. (laughs) That just want to fuck the world and are very wealthy. Yeah. 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 They just want to screw the world over, you know, fuck it. Just watch the world burn or whatever. But, um, you know, and maybe Tucker is one of these people. I don't know. Um, But I don't think so. He went, at some point, you also point this out in your piece. There was a time when he was pretty likable on TV. When he right. wasn't as angry, you know, he's he was always shouty. But there was, at, certainly in the Crossfire days, there was a sense of fun to it. That, that he wasn't really um, serious about it. That it was performative. And He looked like he was having a good time. Exactly. Well, it, perfectly put. He looked like he was having a good time. He doesn't look like he's having a good time anymore. He always has that no. look on his face like he's just smelled something terrible. Um, yeah. And that isn't something that he used to do a lot. I don't think. No, I don't think so either. And he now looks like he's holding his breath. Yeah. And, and he's getting the dead eyes. Back when I was uh, working... As a stripper, we used to notice that some girls, when they would allow their own boundaries to be violated, and they went beyond what they personally, ethically were comfortable with, they mm-hmm. they continued down that path. They ended up with dead eyes. Yeah, like their soul was gone. Yeah, and he's he started to get dead eyes to me. His soul has been sold for you know metaphorically, certainly. I mean he. There was a there. 
I don't know when the point was. I don't know if it was gradual or something very obvious, but he he has gone to the dark side. I mean, there's no there's no two ways about it. The stuff that he's it's one thing to just, you know, go out there and trumpet libertarianism. Like I don't agree with it, but it's fine. When he was on crossfire, uh, he wasn't um trying to end the world. He wasn't he wasn't arguing that we shouldn't, you know, that the, the mask that the, the you know, the he wasn't there was no pandemic going on where the stuff he was saying was really dangerous. The democracy wasn't in danger the way that it is now. And he's contributing to that in, in a very horrible danger. I keep saying the word dangerous, but there's no other word for it. It's a dangerous thing. He's playing with fire in a sense. Yes, he's definitely playing with fire, but it's like it's become more extreme even since he first got the show in 2016. It's just getting crazier and crazier and more like you know how lindsey graham went from being kind of normal to like lindsey graham just like looks like he's being held hostage all the time yep it's similar but not as extreme well it's not as lindsey graham that happened on the golf course one day like i can i can tell you <laughs> you can look at his twitter feed and pinpoint the exact moments you know right um it's like you ever watch the simpsons on the on, on the valentine's day episode of the simpsons that you know, um, when she break when Lisa Simpson breaks Ralph Wiggum's heart, Bart, they're watching right. the video of it, and Bart's like, "Wait, mm -hmm. go in slow mo. You can pinpoint the exact minute when her heart, when his heart breaks." Right. And, and um, it's the same thing. Like Lindsay, it's like, "Oh no, there it is. It's right there." And with Tucker, it's not that obvious. It's not. No, it's not. Yeah, you know, it, he he went down the road, and I don't know if he wants to be down this road. I don't know if he if he's just fuck it. I don't care. Um, I know he's kind of a lazy. Like he's smart enough to figure stuff out, but he doesn't really put in the time to really go into the into the weeds with it. Is is what I've heard about him, um, and maybe it's just that. Maybe he's just like, "Fuck it, I don't care. I've got my money." Well, a large portion of the people I went to college prep for boarding school with, they grow up and end up going right into the business their family has because that's where the trust fund is, yeah. and they have other aspirations but they don't want to lose their safety net so they're kind of puppeted by the wallet i don't understand that that's what baffles me because tucker's made enough money now where he could walk away from all of it and just say you know what i was all, i was completely full of shit i apologize i did it for this reason and uh the country's more important to me than whatever this is and he's got enough money now to do that but he keeps doing it. Who was it that was floating the idea that he was going to run for president? Somebody was was floating that idea. I can't remember who it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, shit. Maybe um, that's what this is. Maybe this is him preparing to leave Fox and run for president. Maybe that's why he's all in on all this stuff. I found something interesting. His latest book is titled The Long Slide. Yeah. And... For some reason, I, I was like, that sounds really familiar for some reason. And there's this poem called High Windows by Philip Larkin mm. that talks about the long slide. It made me think this was going to be his last book and there's something else going on. He may be an asshole, but he's very literate. I found my Philip Larkin book. Good for you. Yeah. Look for uh, High Windows. High Windows is a, it's a whole, oh, here it is. 
where are you high windows what page 129 and it made me look that up because i remember reading this poem and for some reason the title of his book struck me in a way that made me go look up that poem okay let's read the poem let's let's this is a good way to add <laughs> First of all, I love Philip Larkin. So here, High Windows by Philip Larkin. Am I allowed to read poems? I think I can. When I see a couple of kids and guess he's fucking her and she's taking pills or wearing a diaphragm, I know this is paradise. Everyone old has dreamed of all their lives, bonds and gestures pushed to one side like an outdated combine harvester and everyone young going down the long slide to happiness endlessly. I wonder if anyone looked at me 40 years back and thought, That'll be the life. No God anymore or sweating in the dark about hell and that or having to hide what you think of the priest. He and his lot will all go down the long slide like free bloody birds. And immediately, rather than words, comes the thought of high windows, the sun comprehending glass and beyond it, the deep blue air that shows nothing and is nowhere and is endless. Yeah. I don't know why, but I remembered that poem when I saw that his latest book was called The Long Slide. And I went, you know, he's a he's an intelligent dude. Maybe a dick, but he's intelligent. And he's very literate. Yeah. And I think I don't know, it just felt it felt like you know how sometimes you're like, oh, I think he knows this poem, or he's yeah, I don't know. It just felt relevant. It's an allusion to, to the poem. I mean, it, 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 maybe it isn't, but it, it, it certainly could be. I mean, it should be. It's appropriate. It makes sense. Yeah, it totally it, makes sense. That's what I'm saying. I was like, oh my God, this is like, makes sense in a strange way. It just makes sense. So, okay. The one thing that we haven't talked about that I want, well, there's two things, I guess. First about Dennis Hoff is that but nah, that's not really. I don't. We don't need to talk about Brooke. I don't think that's that relevant, right? Brooke. Yeah. The only thing about uh, Brooke Phillips, there was a lot of unanswered questions about her death two years in two thousand nine. Um, Brooke Phillips being, you know, uh, one of the one of the Bunny Ranch employees who was also on that Cat House show. Yeah, yeah, and she was Hoff's girlfriend. Oh, I didn't know she was Hoff's girlfriend. Okay. Oh, a lot of them were Hoff's girlfriend. Um, the only thing I want to bring up about Brooke is, is I wonder how many women who have worked at the ranch are still alive. Mm. I would like to see, but because they use pseudonyms when they're working girls, the obituaries would not be under the same name. So I don't have the ability to hunt down that information because you would have to get their real names out of the paperwork in the ranch. But sex workers are considered expendable in the underworld. Yeah. So, and they generally know a lot of what's going on and the lucky ones are the dumb ones. So, <laughs> because they don't know what's going on. Um, the only thing about Brooke Phillips that made me question anything was wondering how many other women died of random things or how many women may knew too many things stuff like that yeah um brooke phillips by the way is one of the when, when tucker wrote the piece in the new republic saying i've come to this event with a pimp and two hookers 
one of the quote unquote hookers that he's with is her. So, mm -hmm. and then within a couple of years, two and a half years of, of that. Right. Yeah, right? two years, exactly. Um, she's found dead with a you know bullet to the head and she's 22 pregnant. weeks pregnant. Yeah. And nobody knows who the father is and it's this whole kind of thing. And then the show gets canceled, I think after that pretty quickly. Not long after that, yeah. Hoff, by the way, um, he's dead. He died of a, you know, it was a heart attack, right? Was He was on. Yeah. <laughs> he was not in good shape. He was not young and he's probably um, eating Viagra in copious amounts, I think. To keep oh, I up think with... they, found, they found Viagra in the autopsy. Yeah. And uh, he, despite being dead, still won. Um, he, he won the election that he was running in. And if, you might recall, because I don't remember, I didn't remember his name um, until you brought it up, but I do remember the jokes going around for a week or so about, about the how, dead pimp. Yeah, yeah, the Republicans ran, ran the dead pimp. Um, so that's who he is, the dead pimp. Um, that's one thing I want to bring up. The other thing, the last thing that I have on my list to bring up is the whole Matt Gates thing, because <laughs> right, <laughs> Matt Gates is accused of, of sex trafficking minors, and it's this right. big thing. This isn't that long ago. With Green, Green, Greenberg? Joel Greenberg. And yeah. he goes on Tucker's show, and <laughs> this monologue of <laughs> desperate <laughs> prevarication and just like, oh shit. And you could see whoever his lawyer is must have been like, get me to the studio now. You know, oh my God, what is he doing? This dumbass. So, yeah, that, that was classic. Um, but he, at one point in this broadcast, he says, You recall we went to dinner, Tucker. Um, Matt Gates says, <laughs> I was there with a friend of mine who you'll remember, and your, you were there, and your wife was there. And Tucker, <laughs> the look on his face is just, it's not one I'd seen before. It's, it's similar to the dead eyed smell bad, but it was more like, oh, fuck, you know, that, that seemed to be the, the read on it. And he kind of, he, he afterwards, he was just, I, I, don't, I don't have any recollection of what you're talking about. I can say that actually you and I went to dinner about two years ago. Your wife was there and I brought a friend of mine, you'll remember her, and she was actually threatened by the FBI, told that if she wouldn't cop to the fact that somehow I was involved in some pay-for-play scheme, uh, that she could face trouble. And so uh, I do believe that there are people at the Department of Justice who are trying to smear me, uh, you know, providing for flights uh, and hotel rooms for people that you're dating who are of legal age is not a crime. Uh, and I'm just troubled that the lack of any sort of legitimate uh, investigation into me would then permute, would then convert into this extortion attempt. I, I don't remember the, the woman you're speaking of or the context at all, honestly. He said something like they kind of threw it away. Yeah. And I, I had speculated, I think, on Narrative Live that, that week that that was, that was Gates saying, hey, I, you remember, remember this? I can you tell know, I people about this. I got some shit on you. Yeah, that's yeah. what it sounded like to me. <laughs> I had no idea. We're just speculating here. I don't either. It, We're totally speculating. Yeah. But no, he was like a rabbit in the headlights. He, and, and, he just you know, like froze and he may have just been frozen because he couldn't believe this guy just said something like that and, and wrapped him into it you know he could have been like what the fuck are you talking about asshole but but um, i left yeah it was pretty funny so it was really funny you know again and, but, 
I don't doubt that he has something on him. I, they all have shit on each other. I swear yeah, to God. I, I'm, I'm sure they do because they're, they're together all the time and they're, yeah. you know, they, there's stuff to do and whatever. He's still, look, Tucker Carlson, he's friends with the pimp who died. And you know what? If he's friends with the pimp who died, he's friends with Ron Jeremy too because Ron Jeremy was always with Dennis Hall. Yep. Yep. Ron Jeremy being the world's greatest male porn star. Um, I mean, I don't know if he's Supposedly. the I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, he's not talking, and Heidi mm-hmm. Fleiss isn't talking. Heidi Fleiss is, um, remind us who Heidi Fleiss is. Heidi Fleiss is the Hollywood madam from the 90s that got busted with the black book of all the Hollywood people and politicians and everything else in her um, madam ring. And she's friends with Hoff? All girls. Yes. She's actually extremely close to Hoff. And they were friends forever and really close when he died. But yeah. she, she, she chose to go to jail rather than talk. She never talked. She never ratted. She went to jail. Yeah. The, the women go to jail and the men just, you know, can't, can't tur- give themselves up fast enough. That's what happened. I don't know. I, I think that Ron Jeremy's, I think he knows a lot of shit. And I thought it was weird that he got arrested like, after all these years, I mean, why not get arrested 20 years ago for the same shit that you've been doing all your life? But uh, a lot of people are dead and in jail. That are or, in that circle, that are connected in some way to the Hoff stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really, I notice things like that because I've seen it in the world that I used to roll in. So. Yeah. And again, you know, we're, we're not bringing this up to be lurid or to make jokes. We're bringing it up because it's weird that Tucker Carlson was friends with a pimp. Exactly. Been, yeah. Like there's all this shit going on. And why? If I could actually meet with Tucker Carlson, I'd be like, dude, why? Yeah. Explain it. Mm-hmm. So he's also Tucker's son, also named Buckley, is working. <laughs> um He's working for a congressman named, um, I get these names mixed up. I get Biggs and the other one mixed up. It's not Biggs, it's, it's the other one. Oh, Andy Biggs is the one in Arizona, in Chandler. It, no, this uh, is the guy, this is the guy in um, Indiana. Yeah. And I can't remember his name. But he's the, he's the one that Liz Cheney wrote the letter about that, um, that he was lying and saying he was on the January 6th commission. It isn't on the January 6th commission. Banks. Right. Is it Banks, Jim Banks, maybe? Yes, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, that's it. I think Jim Banks. There's another connection there between, you know, Tucker and 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 uh and the insurrection, which now he's trying to whitewash and put out this propaganda piece about it, you know? And mm-hmm. again, we've you know, we've been talking and we'll wind up here, but we we said a lot of things about his life. Some of the things are funny, some of the things we're speculating, but one thing we're not speculating about is what he's doing right now is very, very dangerous. It's a threat to people's yeah. health, and it's a threat to the to the health of our democracy. And you know, I don't, I, I think he's one of the most dangerous people working right now, certainly in he media. Is. Yeah. In the beginning, we were talking about what my perspective is. Yep. My perspective is is extremely unique because I had the married into old money college preparatory boarding school thing where i watched these guys in their youth who grew up and became these people mm-hmm. and these country club whatevers and then when i became an exotic dancer these 
became the same exact guys that I spent most of my time ripping off. <laughs> because I understood them from growing up with that. Right. And what's, what you will find interesting is when I looked for places to go work during that time frame, I would look for Republican leading areas because they always had the abundance of clubs and the abundance of dudes who spent money mm. rather than the blue areas. Yeah. Like it, it, it's really fascinating, but it's true. The guys, I mean, if I could do it all over again, I would just follow the PGA tour. <laughs> Because wherever the PGA tour goes, just find the club right there and you're going to make money between 3 and 9 p.m. and go home. Oh and I God. guarantee you, they also vote Republican. So yeah. I just thought you'd find that insight interesting. That That's why I know all of these guys have shit on them. Yeah, that it's they're not going to admit. I think it's interesting, and I, th I I have no doubt that you're right. And um, you know, it, it 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 all speaks to the hypocrisy of of the Republicans it, in general, right? It, it that's speaks what to I'm the, trying to say. Yeah, they're you know family values, blah blah blah, and then and then I'm sitting with the guy in the club at five p.m. after his office and his golf game, and he's showing me pictures of his kids, and I'm going, oh, nice tie, you know, whatever. And he there's a disconnect there. You know, there's a disconnect. It's like a compartmentalization. And maybe, oh. you know, I'm, I'm thinking now, like maybe the psychology of it is that somebody that can compartmentalize that way in such a way where they, um, you know, they have this wife and kids situation and then they go off and, and golf club with the guys and hang around and cavort with pimps or whatever. Maybe that brain, the brain's ability to do that is exactly the sort of person that you want to be the face of your propaganda network. Because that is the sort of person that isn't going to have a moral qualm about it. Because they've already proved that they can hold two conflicting thoughts in their head simultaneously and sleep at night, you know? Like Dexter. Yeah, like Dexter. Yeah, Tucker Carlson <laughs> as Dexter, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good way to, to, uh, to wrap it up. Now, I would say follow you on Twitter, except that you have a Twitter account and then it got suspended for some reason. We can't figure out why. So, um, But it is at... Nia Molinari on the Twitter. Nia Molinari, thanks for joining me on the Prevail podcast. Everybody take a look at her stuff on my Substack. Nia Molinari, she has three great pieces there. One of them is called Fuck Giuliani. The most recent one is called All Tuckered Out. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fassa. Sophia Tereschenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Signet Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail.